Welcome to another intriguing episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm with Laura Phillips, and Laura Phillips is a writer, mostly a screenwriter, but we'll get into the various hats that she's worn over the years. I did um, consider acting, and I studied acting, and I think that actually made me a better screenwriter, and certainly a better producer, and a better, better at casting, understanding what, what actors need and, and, and the environment they need. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? I had worked for Jim Henson on Fraggle Rock. Based on Fraggle Rock, Jim thought maybe I could write Labyrinth. It's hard to believe it now in retrospect, but I got to write Labyrinth and based on the script I wrote, George Lucas came on as executive producer and I thought, wow, so this was easy. You know, here I am in George Lucas's house and, you know, sitting around with him and, and Jim Henson and George's then girlfriend, Linda Ronstadt, and I thought, you know, how hard can it be? We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to Monetizing Your Creativity, where we explore the issues of how to pursue your passion in the creative arts and still manage to make a decent living while doing so. I'm only uh, half of your host. Uh, it's Fred Keating here. I've gone rogue. I'm flying solo today in Toronto with a great friend and mentor of mine, Laura Phillips. And Marvin, uh, my co-host and co-producer, is out in the uh, wilds of the Canadian Rockies interviewing important people there. I'm with Laura Phillips, and Laura Phillips is a writer, mostly a screenwriter, but we'll get into the various hats that she's worn over the years. And I met her some 25-ish... 94. 94. You don't look a day over 80. <laughs> Sorry. She I'm brings 94. <laughs> no. Uh it was 94 or nine no, it was 95 when uh we did Jake and the Kid together and you came in uh for auditions and I think for every part including the 10-year-old boy and his mother. <laughs> and for that reason alone and also because you were hysterically funny um I had to hire you but you actually came in to read primarily for the villain of the piece. Which is what I really would have dearly loved to play, but I was quite happy to be a part no, of it anyway. You were perfect as Repico Lightly. You were hysterically funny. And you also, you exuded the exact quality that I wanted in this not quite real environment, this non-judgmental society that I believed it should be, which, as you know, given that I wasn't brought back for a second season, not everyone agreed with me. But it was a great first season, and you were a huge part of that. Well, that's very, very kind of you to say. I, I have very fond memories of that, uh, of the openness of those auditions and dealing with the actual person who had uh, created or brought the stories from literature onto the screen, so therefore must have had a fairly straightforward vision of what the characters ought to be like. I, 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 do, I will tell you one story, and I won't mention the actor's name because he's very talented and he's a great guy. But I do remember in one of the audition sequences, perhaps after a second or third callback, I was reading for Repeat Golightly, the barber, and the other actor, the reader, was so animated. And in fact, he broke the fourth wall and, and circled me and joined me in the scene to the point where I, I actually said, excuse me, I've never done this before, but could I just 
stop and ask you a question, you know, and, and you said, yes. And then I said, who, whose audition is this anyway? You know, which, what, uh, I just want to make sure that uh, I'm not intruding on his because he sure as hell is stepping on mine. <laughs> but, uh, but it was that free and easy uh, an audition situation. I only mention it because we have talked in, in many other episodes right. about how many other people in various craft categories have to undergo a similar audition or interview process. Dancers, musicians, wardrobe designers, directors themselves have to put themselves into that uh, to, to get a part of a, of a particular production or project. But uh, And we were really in, I felt very blessed to be in on the genesis of, of that series. But let me ask then how you got from where you started to being the showrunner, really, on that new series uh, for the first season. Tell us about Laura Phillips, where she comes from, what she did, what led her or drew her or compelled her to get into writing for the screen. A number of flukes and luck and genetics. Uh, my father was uh, a comedian, stand-up comic in the States. My mother wrote his first routine. I think being brought up by artistic, crazy people is probably as much a reason why I do what I do as anything else, because I didn't it was the family business, and I didn't honestly imagine myself doing anything else. I mean, other than like, you know, lying on the Riviera, with, you know, with my yacht in the distance and holding a, a very large, uh, I don't know, daiquiri, maybe just go straight for the champagne. But whatever it was, that was like the extent of my fantasies of my future. But there was a value in the environment I grew up in about being funny. That was a huge value. And having timing, which you and I have discussed, because you have such good timing, uh, how important that is. And those were the things that, you know, I was taught. Those were the values I was taught. Unfortunately, monetizing anything was not one of the values I was taught, because I'm a second generation non-monetizer. <laughs> so there's really, <laughs> you know, you can speak to me all about, you know, craft and about career, but did I make a living? I continue to make a living. Is it a great living? It's too sporadic for that. You know, and I think that has a lot to do with the, the path I chose. But wouldn't growing up in, uh, speaking of sporadic paths, but growing up in the kind of creative free flow environment you're describing, give one a certain resilience or acceptance of that as, as normal and therefore dealable with? And this, we're talking New York City, aren't we? Yes, uh, definitely dealable with. Because I have friends who say, I don't know how you stand, you know, going months without employment or having to, well, I'll be very frank with this invisible audience, you know, cash in things you shouldn't cash in and do things that you have to do, RSPs, whatever it was over the years. But I was used to that. And because not only was my father an entertainer, he was a gambler. <laughs> so, you know, that was mostly, mostly where his money came from. It was cards. Came from or went to? Uh, yeah, both. Well, the track it went to, and then he gained it back on cards. <laughs> he was very good at cards. So, yes, it has made it possible for me to be freelance, uh, be sporadically employed, and not uh, not require insti being institutionalized. Well, there's different types of institutions, yeah. aren't yeah, there? Yeah, I'm not saying everyone would be against me being institutionalized, but it wouldn't be for these reasons. <laughs> I never had the pleasure of meeting your father, but I did work with Rodney Dangerfield uh, 
And he was a big fan of your father's. Yes. He, they, uh, he told some great stories. That's all I'm going to say. You never told me that. Uh, I never told you that. Okay. <laughs> but I'm telling you now. Well, you, you surprised me. Yes, but I remember Rodney very well. He was a good friend of my father's. And they worked together a lot, as he did with a lot of other people like Alan King and Jerry Lewis. I have a watch that Jerry gave my father. Yeah, he had a lot of of relationships with famous people without becoming famous himself, which is sort of the, the path I've chosen. <laughs> yeah, you know that path. <laughs> Although you're getting pretty famous. Not an alley we want to go down <laughs> at the moment. Laura, why or how the writing, as opposed to giving the family business a stand-up comedy yourself, or have you tried that? No, I've never tried stand-up. I did um, consider acting, and I studied acting, and I think that actually made me a better screenwriter and certainly a better producer and a better better at casting understanding what what actors need and 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 the environment they need and what they're doing when they're doing it you know how they search for things and experiment and so i think it really helped me as a writer but that's not answering your question um i never pursued it beyond classes i i studied at the strasberg institute for a year and it was a great year and it was very helpful and I had, uh, you know, it was great to do scenes in school and, and, and for those kind of teachers, but I didn't, I didn't, I knew I wouldn't pursue it. I'm, I'm basically an introvert. Yes. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't faint. <laughs> My face betrayed me. I know you're yes. yeah. Uh, the audience can't see it, but he looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> but I am an introvert. Most writers are introverts. I mean, that's what's such a weird thing about screenwriting as opposed to any other kind of writing. You're, it, writers are mostly introverts, but in this business, you have to go out and be a salesperson. You have to work with hundreds of people. You have to take notes. I once was uh, on a film where eight, I sat in a room with 18 people, a row of, across a room of 18 people and me getting notes. So, you know, this is no place for an introvert. So we're all a little, I think, schizophrenic that way, screenwriters. Tell me about the, the writing then. Was there any formal education in writing uh, prior to the actual experience of yes. doing it and being bought or not bought? I was in University of Miami in their film school, and I took screenwriting courses, and it was there that I was told, this is really what you should do. But I had no intention of doing it. I mean, I'd been told I could write since I was like in grade four. Uh, you know how teachers will tell your mother. It just wasn't a burning desire, you know, at that time. Uh, what happened was I came up here because I met a Canadian and then married him. And I got to work at uh, the CBC in the drama department. I was an associate producer at a time when the story editing was a very different job than it is now. This is back in the 80s. And... So I did a lot of story editing and working on scripts and working with a great producer named Larry Merkin. And we were kind of a team and it really encouraged me to look at scripts in a specific way, to see that as the most interesting part of doing this job. I certainly wasn't interested in the, all that interested in the budgets and the, you know, all that organizing that producers do. I was interested in the creative stuff that producers do. How I got my first writing job was really a fluke. I was working at the CBC as an associate producer, which is sort of a jack-of-all-trades kind of job there. And as I said, I did a lot of story editing. And this 
woman who I'd met socially, a producer named Annette Cohen, called me and said, could you, uh, I'm looking for genre writers, and is there anyone you could recommend? And I don't know what made me say this, because I had not written professionally. I said, what about me? And then she had an even odder response. Would you really consider this? And I said, sure. But it, there was no reason for me to say, what about me? And there was even less reason for her to say, would you really do it? It's as if we were both hypnotized in that moment. What is genre writing? Well, I wasn't sure at the time. But, you know, a genre is like a romance. For her, it was romance film. It could be a science fiction or a Western or whatever. You know, it's a, it, within a specific genre. I didn't even know what she was asking me. And I said, what about me? And as I said, you know, so I got to write a feature film that did not get made, but it probably paid me more than any job since. And um, which is funny and got me into the Writers Guild. And I was a writer. Suddenly I was a writer, but I wasn't a successful writer. <laughs> that came a little later. Tell me, if there were a hundred writers only in the world, how many of them do you reckon would be considered successful writers? Point zero six. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. I must say, whenever I hear other industries complaining about the unemployment rate in their industry, oh my gosh, it's 5%, you know, that's nothing. Over here, we're 7.5%. We're I think, are you kidding me? In the performing arts, writers, performers, 87% unemployment is a good year. Yeah. It means 13% of us are working. And and the 13% are probably not making more than $5,000 for the year. You know, that, that's often the case in the Writers Guild anyway. Of course. when you Yes, when you look at the average, you're absolutely right. Again, that, that percentage goes down, those who are making... Right over a hundred thousand perhaps. There are more and more writers doing really well, I have to admit. I'm not one of them. Because the structure of the business has changed, we have writers rooms, we got have rooms where they develop shows, there's a bigger writing staff, there's a bit bigger emphasis on the writing and development. And I think some very good people are doing very well. And there's more and more of them all the time. I want to, as I see time is running out here, but what I want to do before we uh, we break and then I do want to ask to come back another time and, and get some more information from you is that you've also worn a number of hats I want to send people to the triple W IMDB the International Movie Database Laura Phillips Phillips with two L's to look at your track record as it currently exists online because in addition to writing you have credits like story editor executive story editor consulting producer you're given credit for story, but not writer, and one credit for the film, uh, the David Bowie film, Labyrinth, special thanks. So I went to Labyrinth, and yes, there it is. There's special writers, thanks. and there's producers, and all sorts, and then there is special thanks to Laura Phillips. Uh, that's a, a category I guess I've seen on screen before. What does that mean in your case? In my case, it meant I was fired from the film. I was the second writer. Uh, the first writer was Terry Jones from Monty Python. And I had worked uh, for Jim Henson on Fraggle Rock. And based on Fraggle Rock, Jim thought maybe I could write Labyrinth. It was an opportunity that was so big, it's hard to believe it now in retrospect. But I got to write Labyrinth. And based on the script I wrote, George Lucas 
came on as ex- executive producer, and I thought, wow, this was easy. <laughs> How many years ago was that? And that was the mid to late 80s. This was easy. You know, here I am in George Lucas's house and, you know, sitting around with him and, and Jim Henson and George's then-girlfriend, Linda Ronstadt, and I thought, you know. How hard can it be? So I wrote a couple of drafts, and then, to make a long story short, they want what Jim always wanted was Terry Jones, Monty Python feel to it. I had been at a meeting with George Lucas and Jim Henson, and after that meeting, Jim Henson said to me, because of you and George, I'm not going to get the film I really saw, because I'm thrilled to say George Lucas and I saw the film in the same way. But it wasn't. I wasn't fired because I agreed with George Lucas. Jim really had a vision that he felt my draft didn't give him. But overall, my contributions were there, and the experience... You know, I took it to another level, as I said, where we got a, a big executive producer, and which I'm sure Jim would have gotten without me. But anyway, he liked that script. That's something that was very thrilling. And just doing that work with Jim was very thrilling and going to England. Really, it was for me, it was about being let go and Terry Jones being brought back in and then Elaine May working with Terry Jones and on and on and on. So it's that's a lot of detail for a very specific uh, thanks, special thanks. I think they're given for a lot of different reasons. I don't know how many of them because people are fired. Well, fired, you know, we're bringing in another writer, which is the most common story in Hollywood, right? So I was right there doing the common thing. Well, for what it's worth, I, I don't want to bring in another writer to this uh, to you. this interview. Uh, but what I would like to do is is steal a bit more of your time in another interview because I know that some of the qualities that have sustained your success are qualities that would go beyond just writers, would have a lot of significance for people in any number of uh, careers in creative arts. To do the kind of conversation I'd love to have with you would take us for another couple hours, and probably a lot of our listeners, if they're commuting or uh, taking the bus to and from whatever obligation they may have, don't have three hours solid to listen to you make me laugh. Uh, have you seen the traffic in the city? <laughs> it might be the perfect antidote. With all due respect, I'm going to pull this particular episode to an end and, and then tap into some more Laura Phillips. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, you're so welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.